In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, on God, Amen. Actually, and I asked to send me the questions uh, regarding the descent to Hades. Uh, so, uh, I will answer the questions that I received, and then after I finish, I will open the floor for any questions, if you have any more questions. So, the first question I got, uh, what was the sequence of events immediately following the crucifixion? Did Jesus descend to Hades, then immediately to paradise? After, as he told the thief, today you will be with me in paradise, did the thief go straight to the paradise? Yes. When the Lord actually uh, died on the cross and he gave up the spirit into the hand of the Father, he descended to Hades immediately. And he took all the captivity captives. Those who were taken captives in Hades, God took them as good captives, not negative captives. That's what it means in, in Ephesians when St. Paul said he took the captivity captive. Then he went to the paradise of joy. So the thief actually died before or after Christ? After Christ. So because he died after Christ, then he did not go to Hades. If he died before Christ, then he would have go to Hades first. But since he died after Christ, then he went to the paradise uh, directly. That's why, if you remember, on Good Friday, in the 12th hour, what do we do? We open the curtain of the altar and we pray all the prayers while the altar uh, curtain is opened. And actually, all Apocalypse night, the prayers are done with uh, the open curtain. And also the uh, midnight praises for the restriction feast. Uh, this open curtain represents the opening of the doors of paradise. And also in, in the rites of the church, Soktatigom in the 11th, uh, in the 12th hour, and all the midnight praises in Apocalypse, one verse from inside the altar and another verse from outside the altar. Uh, why we alternate? Because those inside the altar represent the souls of the righteous who went to the paradise. And outside the altar, those who are still alive on earth. So both those in paradise and those on earth, they praise God and they say, Thine is the power, glory, blessing, and majesty forever. Amen. Second question. Did even the righteous who were in Hades before the crucifixion suffer while in Hades, like the rich man suffered in Hades, and their different levels of Hades paradise? Uh, no, the, the righteous did not suffer. Uh, by the way, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, it is a real story, not a parable. So the rich man was a real character and Lazarus was a real character. So from the description of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
actually we understand that in Hades there was separation between the righteous and between the uh, wicked people. That's why Abraham said to uh, uh, the rich man, there is a gap or, 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 or hole between you and us. Yes, they were able to see each other, they were able to communicate, but those who are on the righteous side cannot go to the uh, wicked side, uh, and the opposite also is true. That's why when he asked Lazarus to come and put some water on my tongue, he told him, no, those who are here cannot go to you, and those who are there cannot come uh, to us. So both of them were in Hades, but the righteous did not suffer, and the uh, wicked suffered. But this suffering is not the eternal punishment. It is just knowing that this person is among the wicked, uh, like a person waiting execution, uh, waiting death penalty. So this suffer is just uh, emotional suffer. In Hades and Paradise, the, the suffering actually, and the joy, again, it's not a reward or punishment. It is related to the severity of the sins for the wicked. So the person who realized that he committed more sins, he actually, internally, he will suffer more because he knows that his punishment will be worse. In the same way, those righteous, those who uh, endured for, for God more, they rejoice more knowing they will get a better resurrection. But in the hell and in the kingdom of heaven, eternally, there are levels. We know, for example, the Lord said Sodom and Gomorrah will be in a better condition than Kabrnaum. Uh, both of them will be in heads. But here, when he said those will be in better condition, means there are levels in Hades. In the same way, there are levels in the heaven. Uh, for example, the martyrs uh, will be in a higher level than the rest of the, of the people because they endured, they shed their blood. And St. Paul spoke about better resurrection in Hebrews chapter 11 when he said, some people suffered and refuse to run away or to escape in order to uh, get or, or, or benefit from a better resurrection. So there is a better resurrection. So there is a better resurrection in, in heaven. Third question regarding Hades and Paradise as waiting places, sometimes described as a state of being. No, it's not a state of being, it's place. Uh, when St. Paul said he descended into the lower parts of the earth, it's a place. Uh, St. Peter also uh, said that he descended and preached the soul were in prison. So it's not a state of being. Uh, but inside Hades and inside Paradise, there is a state of being. As, as I explained, some people will believe uh, they deserve severer punishment. Uh, because they commit more sins or they deserve better reward because, for example, they shed their blood for Christ. But Hades and Pradayas are actual places, actual places.
the rest of the question, how did Jesus in his physical body go to paradise? Uh, as I said, it is a place, uh, but Jesus in his physical body he ascended into the heaven of heavens. When he descended to Hades, he descended by his human soul, because the body was in the tomb. But his human soul that was united with the divinity descended to Hades, and the human soul with the divinity uh, went to the paradise. Then in the resurrection, the human soul went back to uh, our Lord, uh, to his body, and that's the resurrection. Let me uh, give explanation what do I mean. Uh, for example, if I have uh, like pen, and, and, and this pen actually is composed of two parts, and the pen actually I heat it in fire, uh, with fire. So the pen actually, all of it is united with the fire. Then if I separated these two parts from each other, this is still united with heat, and this is still united with heat. So, in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has human soul and human body. In the death, the human soul separated from human body. But still the human soul is united with the divinity, and the human body is united with the divinity. So the human soul descended to Hades, then went to the paradise. In the resurrection, the human soul returned back to the body, and he rose from the dead. So, uh, both of them, what I'm trying to explain, that both the human soul and the body, both of them were united with the divinity of Christ. Uh, the next question, if Pradise slash Hades are waiting places until Judgment Day, and going to heaven or hell, uh, and going to heaven or hell. How can we go to one or other after our death if judgment day has not yet occurred? Doesn't this mean we have already been judged based on if we end up in paradise or Hades? No, doesn't mean this. Uh, like when they arrest somebody and put him in jail, and then they bail him out. Uh, still, there has to be a trial and judgment. So we can see what happened at this like initial assessment. And based on this initial assessment, people will go to paradise or will go to hell, to, to Hades, I'm sorry. But the, the judgment is not yet, as we say in the liturgy, and he uh, appointed a day for recompense in which he will appear to judge the world in righteousness and give each one according to his deeds. So this like uh, a police arrest somebody based on the evidence they have and put him in jail, but at the end, the trial is not yet. So the angels take the souls and put them in, in, uh, in Hades or in paradise based on the evidence they have, but the judgment is still not uh, there. Uh, would we know if our loved ones are also in paradise, heaven with us? If we know someone is missing, how can we be joyful knowing a loved one is in hell suffering? Yeah, that's a tough question. 
Yeah, definitely we will know. We will know. But I think knowing the justice of God at the end, uh, so our joy with the justice of God will be more than our grief for somebody is missing in the paradise. Uh, because the justice will be clear in front of us, so we will not say, but um, uh, how this happened. Uh, you know, in Psalm 50, we say to God, and you will overcome when you are judged. So if anybody dared to judge God, God will overcome. His justice will be so clear. And uh, we will see how these people, even our loved ones, how these people were not glorifying God, were not honest to God. So in a way, we'll say, you know, it is fair. What's going on now is fair. Yes, I am sorry that they are suffering. I am sorry that they are, uh, this is their destiny, did not enjoy the grace of God, did not enjoy the mercies of God, but they chose it for themselves. Are there levels in heaven, hell? What determine? Yeah, I answer this question. That level, people go. If the Bible state, we cannot. Uh, we cannot earn. We cannot earn salvation. We cannot earn salvation, but we will earn the crowns. Saint Paul explained this in Romans chapter four. Uh, so we need to differentiate between crowns and between which we earn and between uh, salvation. Uh, Romans 4, uh, Saint P uh, Paul is saying, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? So his works that he done according to the flesh. Did he find anything? Verse 2, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So, if we are boasting because of our work, we can boast before God, because I, I earned my salvation, I'm justified by my own work. Verse 3, for what does the scripture say, Abraham? believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So Abraham was not justified, was not saved by his own works, but he was justified by believing in God. So we don't earn our salvation. Verse 4, that is the answer to your question. Now to him who works, the wages, the crowns, are not counted as grace, but as a debt. For example, if I shed my blood, uh, this did not earn my salvation. But now, as if there is a debt that I did something not everybody did, so I will receive crown of martyrdom. Uh, but to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So we need to differentiate works. Yes, we will earn our crowns based on our work. Uh, uh, people who actually choose to be martyrs, confessors, ascetic, celibate for the name of Christ, yes, they will receive crown for this. 
but nobody is earning his salvation. Salvation is a free gift from God to all of us. Question regarding the Holy Synod banning singing the song of O Beloved. On Good Friday saying we should not mourn, but then we place black veils in the church as a sign of mourning through Holy Week. Actually, uh, the yeah, when we put black veils in extensive extensive way, this is not right. Yeah, yeah, the, the rights of the church. You put something very symbolic just to remind us with the passion of Christ. But even we don't call the the, the hymns the morning hymns. We call them Basque hymns. <coughs> we cannot mourn and we cannot grieve in presence of Christ. That's wrong. But it's called Basque. Basque means Passover. So we we remember and we commemorate how through the cross we passed over from darkness to light, from death to life, from Hades to paradise, and, and, and so on. The problem with O Beloved and all other uh, sing, uh, songs, they are full of human emotions. But the church actually, when we pray, we don't know uh, this language of human emotion. We we know how to glorify God and compare uh, a monogenes or only begotten with O Beloved. For example, when we praise God, we tell Him, uh, Holy, uh, Mighty, who showed with His weakness what is greater than uh, 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 might. And the weakness of God the weakness of Christ on the cross was greater than any might in the world. So we are glorifying God. We, we, in the 12th hour, we say, your throne, O God, forever. So uh, if you, you examine all the hymns of the church, you will not one single hymn has the language of groaning, uh, mourning or groaning, no, or grieving. Actually, they are glorifying God. Like Sukta Digom, thine is the power, the glory, the might, the majesty. Uh, so this song that full of human emotions uh, contradict with the spirit of glorifying God on the day of his victory over uh, death and opening the paradise. Question regarding hope in being saved and how we can have confidence in our salvation. I'm glad that you asked this uh, this uh, question. You know, uh, when the Protestant uh, came to Egypt in the 18th century, the emphasis was on uh, salvation, and one of their dogma: once saved, always saved. So once saved, خلاص. And there's actually a song in Arabic uh, they, they used to teach the children. Meaning, where are you going? I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven regardless. This actually a Protestant song. Uh, once saved, I'm always saved. So as a reaction to this doctrine, Protestant doctrine, once saved, always saved, 
there was a reaction. And the reaction was teach the people uh, nothing called uh, assurance or confidence in salvation. And unfortunately, we start to emphasize that once saved, always saved is wrong to the extent that people now they have no confidence in their salvation. We took it to extreme, which is wrong, which is wrong. I'm repeating for a third time, which is wrong. So uh, imagine you are taking a car from uh, Phoenix to Los Angeles. Uh, if you are a Protestant, you will say, I will arrive no matter what. Nothing will happen to me. Once I get in the car, I will arrive there. I'm confident 100%. Nothing will happen to me. That's the Protestant mentality. The Orthodox mentality, and please, I'm saying Orthodox, not the Orthodoxy. The Orthodox, because of the teaching that one saved, always saved, is wrong. Now, if an Orthodox, he will tell you, no, a car will crash. I will get into accident. The possibility to go, to arrive in Los Angeles does not exceed 0.0005%. And this is actually uh, very sad. But the Orthodoxy, the Bible, the scripture teaches us, yes, we have confidence. Why am I getting myself into the car if I know that the car will crash? I have confidence that I will arrive. That's why I am getting into the car. But is it 100% I will arrive? No. But I have confidence enough that I will arrive. Confidence not in myself. Confidence in my driving, not in my driving ability, but confidence in Christ who died on the cross for me that he will help me to be saved. And, and St. Paul spoke about this confidence in, in Hebrews uh, chapter 10. Uh, and I hope we as clergy and also we as Sunday school servants, uh, we, we, we teach the people uh, right. Yes, we tell them uh, there is nothing called once saved, always saved. But on the other side, when the people actually have no confidence in their salvation, uh, then why you are fasting? Why you pray? Why you go to church? Why you confess? Why you repent? Why you are doing all of this if at the end you will not be saved? In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, St. Paul says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness, boldness, having confidence to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. So I have this confidence by a new and a living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that's his flesh. Yes, sometimes Satan will tell me, but your works are bad. You are not living according to to uh, the scripture. That's why you don't have confidence. But my response to this, as long as I'm living the life of repentance, I'm accepted before God. Even if I fall, there are two types of falling. Some people fall out of weakness. People fall out of betrayal. So if I am falling out of weakness, I will rise up again through the repentance and God will accept me regardless how many times I fall. Yes, I'm not taking advantage of this and say, you know what, I will do whatever I want to do and then I will repent and confess. No. Falling here is only out of weakness. But out of betrayal means I am giving my back to Christ 
completely. And I am intentionally disobeying him. I am intentionally uh, violating his commandment. I am intentionally betraying like Judas. Pope Shenouda said the sin of Peter was a sin of weakness, but the sin of Judas was a sin of betrayal. So as long as we repent, we'll be accepted. Like our clothes, our clothes gets dirty. Every time it gets dirty, we wash it. Then it's clean. In the same way, God left us the two sacraments, repentance, confession, and communion, to wash our clothes, and our garment would be white. In the book of Revelation, they saw people walking in white garment. So John asked, who are these who are walking in white garment? The answer was not because they never sinned, but the answer was those who washed their garment in the blood of lamb. So every time my clothes gets dirty through repentance, confession, and communion, I wash my garment in the blood of lamb, and thus I will be accepted before Christ. Um, I think the last question, non-Orthodox being saved. Did God really expect us to be smart enough to figure out the perfect theology? If uh, a Protestant knows and loves God and follows God, but did not understand sacraments, are they condemned for not having the proper understanding? We believe in the necessity of baptism, confession, communion for salvation. What about people who never taught these sacraments? The sacraments are not difficult theology. They are very, very simple, simple theology revealed in the scripture. I'm not asking them to understand perichoresis. Maybe most of you don't know what perichoresis is. So we're not speaking about advanced theology. But read John chapter 3. Uh, unless one is born again from water and spirit, cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That's very, very clear. John chapter 6. Uh, unless you eat my blood and drink my, uh, eat my body, drink my blood, you have no eternal life. But if somebody is really, really, really ignorant, God will teach him here on earth. If he doesn't know, God will teach him here on earth. And why I'm saying this, uh, St. Paul actually is the one who explained this in his letter to Timothy. St. Paul said, uh, God had mercy on me because I did this in ignorance without belief. In order to have me an example to those who will believe in him. So St. Paul is saying, as God actually saved me because of my ignorance, God will do the same with, with, with others who actually we, out of ignorance, they don't know the way of salvation, and God actually will will save them. Uh, you can find this in First Timothy, chapter one, verse thirteen. He says, "Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained the mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief." So God had mercy on Saint Paul. Because he did this out of ignorance. 
And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, However, for this reason I obtained the mercy. Why he obtained the mercy? Not only to be saved, listen carefully, that in me first Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. So I am the model. That's a pattern. As God did with me, I was ignorant, but God actually did not punish me because of my ignorance. He had mercy on me in order to make a better pattern to people who will believe in him. So as God had mercy on me, he also will have mercy. That's why we know people who are extremists in other religions. Christ appears to them and leads them to Christianity. Uh, and, and God appears to, to many people uh, to, to show them the, the truth. Uh, and I am confident that if anyone with sincerity is searching for the truth, the truth will be revealed to him here on earth. Because God is not an author of confusion, as St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 14. God is not author of confusion. Uh, so God will not confuse the people. If I grew up non-Christian, Protestant, Catholic, or whatever, and I don't know the truth, uh, God will guide me to the truth while I'm here living on earth. Uh, this actually finishes the questions that I get through the text message, but I see on the chat many questions from... Uh, so let me see uh, the question here. Where does the concept of purgatory come from? Where do people go when they die young? There is nothing called purgatory. Uh, actually, I asked the, the Catholic from where they got this term purgatory. Uh, Purgatory from word purge. Actually, if there is any suffering will purge our sins, this is against salvation. As if the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is not enough to purge my sins, that's why I need to go to purgatory in order to be purged. And if anyone needs the purgatory, it would be the thief on the cross. But the Lord told him, today you will be with me in the paradise. He did not tell him, today you will be in the purgatory, and then I will transfer you to the paradise. Uh, Orthodox don't believe in purgatory. Yes, we don't believe in purgatory. And there is a book for Bob Shinoda, if, if you want to read more, uh, called On Purgatory. It's translated. Hmm? Sorry, uh, I, I unmuted you just real quick to have a quick question about that. I know that we don't believe in purgatory, but I think Tristan's question was based on the fact when, you know, children die young, where did they go? But I think you answered that question um, earlier about how the Lord um, has mercy on us. And so those souls that, you know, have not had the opportunity to get there, he has mercy on them and they're still saved and they go to heaven. Yes. Am I correct? Yes, but there is no purgatory. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Just to clarify, so we believe that if like babies didn't get baptized in time, God still will have mercy on their souls. Is that our understanding? Okay. We believe in the mercy of God and the justice of God. 
definitely these people, these children, did not commit anything bad to, to, to go to hell. So God actually will, will have mercy on them. But how to fulfill the justice, how they will be saved without being baptized or without communion, we don't know. It's not revealed. When we speak about theology, it's not revealed to us. So uh, how God will save them, I don't know. But I know one thing, that God is just and merciful. And in the last day, we'll be impressed and amazed how this unanswered question right now, uh, how God actually will answer them in an amazing way, uh, but definitely they will not suffer. What about communion, baptism, and other churches? What do you mean other churches? I think because they still do it, but they think about it differently. They interpret it not the same sacramental way we do. So they still do those... But communion... They do the... They don't do it in a sacramental way. What does God think of Any sacrament should be based... Go go ahead and... I was going to say, because we believe that it's the communion and all of that has to be within our own church versus we can't go to the Catholic church and take communion there. So does that mean that the people who are not taking communion within our church or don't have that salvation based off of our church? I have two, two points to make here. First point, if there is a Coptic Orthodox priest, God forbid, excommunicated and prayed a liturgy, do you want to take communion from him? I mean, not. excommunicated there, then that's, that's still considered outside of the church, right? Yes. So, so what I'm trying to say, there is excommunication between us and the Catholic. So how can we take communion with them? No, a second point, any sacrament is based on uh, the sound faith, sound doctrine. So if a sacrament is based on a wrong doctrine, uh, then it's not valid. So any sacrament is based on sound doctrine. Because we're saying, so based off of this, we're saying we wouldn't want to take communion um, from anybody who's excommunicated or from the Catholic Church. But all those other people who, let's say, are Catholic who are taking communion through the the Catholic Church, we don't consider that true communion, but they still will obtain salvation. Like, will, will they still obtain salvation practicing the sacraments outside of our church? Some people will say... We believe only Coptic Orthodox people will go to heaven. So, but I think you may have answered that previously when you talked about God will have mercy on those who don't. Um, yeah, yeah. And if, weren't, if, weren't taught if they ignorant about the true faith, God will will redirect them. You know, there is a miracle in the Bible. Uh, I like it very much because it will answer your question. Do you know the blind man who God healed him in two stages? First stage, he start to see people like trees, and then. God completely healed him. I think, like an unbeliever, he may come first to any denomination. So, as if he start to believe in Christ, but still the doctrine not clear. But then God actually will heal him in order to have a, a good understanding of the doctrine until he see everything clearly. So, God is not author of confusion. So, if anybody actually... Uh, is, is searching for God, God will guide him. As St. Paul said uh, in First Timothy chapter 1. 
Uh, I, think, so, I think my question on that is like if you because we I think it's more like when you see it personally too and you see like you have good friends or people that you know that are Christian and believe in God and are actively daily living their life for God and their lifestyle reflects that um, and even in the way they talk they feel like you know God is actively working in their lives it's just hard you know like if but then they obviously are not part of like orthodoxy it's just confusing to like do we really believe in them they are not saved or is it just not for us to judge that okay uh, now we have our meeting and God forbid uh, I told you there is a fire in the next door then all of us start to discuss together whether people in this house will be saved or not from the fire do you think that's the right reaction What would be the right reaction? Go get them out. Exactly. So we are speaking here about whether they will be saved or not. Actually, if we care about them, let us go and talk to them about the sound doctrine from the scripture. You know, when somebody, for example, will marry uh, uh, from outside the church, marry Protestant or Catholic or whatever, and... uh, they tell him, you know, when you meet Sayyidna, go tell him, I, I want, uh, I am accept uh, orthodoxy, I, I will be baptized. Just tell him all the right answers so Sayyidna will not complicate the matter for you. So when he meets me and, and tell me what they told him to tell me exactly. So I tell him, what if we are cult? Are you going to join a cult? So most of the time he got <laughs> shocked by my response. He expect me to be happy. He tell me, I'm ready to be baptized and join, but I tell him, no. Uh, and I tell him, you know what? Let's try to study and be objective in our study. And if we found at the end that Protestantism is the true and sound doctrine, I will join Protestantism with you. And please don't convert to Orthodoxy. But if we found Orthodoxy, then you need to join Orthodoxy. And when actually people search for the truth and study uh, the truth, the truth is very clear. I'm, I'm, again, when I'm speaking about sacrament, I'm not speaking about uh, uh, difficult theology. It's, it's very easy. That's why there is a question here about interpretation. Uh, it's not about interpretation, it's different. Uh, you know... We know that the church is split in 451. Okay? So, before 451, everybody east and west have the same understanding of the scripture. So, let us go before 451. If they believe what the Catholic believe, then we are wrong. If they believe like what the Protestant, then we are wrong. If they believe like how the Orthodox believe, then they are wrong. As simple as that. So and now thank God actually all the early church father and document is there. So if anyone wants to search the truth, you know, he can find it easily. I'm sure you heard about Peter Gerquist and his two books coming home and becoming Orthodox. They were 18 evangelical pastors and they decided to search for the truth. Never heard about Orthodoxy. They spent eight years eight years of study. You can read this in their books, Coming Home and Becoming Orthodox. And at the end, they have 
all this description about how the church looks like. And they explored all the contemporary churches. They did not find any church. And they were grieved until somebody told them, did you hear about Orthodox Church? They never heard about Orthodoxy. Then they start actually to explore the Orthodox Church and compare it with their finding. They found the Orthodox Church actually identical with the result of eight years of study. That's why they, they published these two books, Becoming Home, Coming Home and Becoming Orthodox. And actually, Peter Gerquist, uh, Father Peter Gerquist, he is the chief editor of Orthodox Study Bible that all of us are using right now. And they were evangelical. So, yes, if anybody is honest in, in searching for the truth, they can find the truth. The truth is, is revealed in the scripture very clearly. There is no confusion. God is not an author of confusion. I think the luxury those people had, though, is that they're educated. So they were able to go back and read and learn. And I think there is a higher standard for people who have those resources and are educated. But there's so many people that can't even read or, you know what I mean? Like there's still like so much of the planet that really don't kind of doesn't have the education to like thoroughly research and like read and understand some of that stuff. I don't know. Again, it doesn't need an educated person. What I'm saying, it is simple theology. Even if I cannot read, if I listen, thank God now, Bible, you can listen to it in all the languages of the world. Just if I listen to it carefully, and I can listen to different denominations, their interpretation, actually I, I can know where the truth lies. Uh, the following question. Um, isn't Judas an emotional hymn we sing it during Basca week? How come emotional? Uh, we say uh, you sold Christ uh, and, and then we, we it's like a rebuke for, for, for Judas for what he did. I don't see any emotions uh, who are not crying or weeping or mourning over, over the Lord Jesus Christ in, in this hymn. Okay. Um, I was just saying, no, we're actually crying over Judas himself. Like, I feel like we're always, like, I don't know, that song always makes me sad because it also makes me reflect on myself and my sins, but it's an emotional song. So when you were saying that we try not, like, a Coptic church doesn't try to get emotional, I feel like that song is, like, extremely emotional. You, like, you, you are crying because emotional. you have a good heart, <laughs> not because the, the hymn is emotional. I, I, I read it to you. We say... Uh, Judas, who has broken the law. With silver, you have sold Christ to the Jews who have broken the law. The lawbreakers took Christ and nailed him on the cross at the place of Kranion. Uh, Barabbas, the condemned thief, was set free, and the master, the judge, they crucified. They uh, thrust a spear in your side, and as a thief, they nailed you on the cross. They laid you in a tomb, or you who raised Lazarus from the tomb. For as Jonah stayed three days inside the whale's belly, also our Savior stayed three days after he died. They sealed the tomb. Uh, truly he rose, but the soldiers were not aware that truly the Savior of the world has risen. He who uh, suffered and died for our sake, O Lord, glory be to you. I mean, yeah, I, I, do see, I don't see any 
mourning or grieving over Christ here, just seeing the fact and end with victory. Christ rose from the dead. Uh, yes, we... we, we yeah, yeah, we, we, all of us, we grieve for Judas. But, but the emotional, the, what I'm trying to say, the lyrics of the hymn itself is not emotional. That's what I'm trying to say. Is it wrong to have emotion when we pray? No, but don't rely only on the emotions. Emotions can be very deceiving. When you watch a movie and you're not just acting, you can cry, Right? So, emotion can be deceiving, but the spirit cannot deceive you. In Florida, when people pass away, the priest usually will send the message to the congregation. They were confident that so and so and the Pratayus. How is he be confident? Why, why make it? Why, why say anything at all, Yanni? Why are we? Why are we judging when it's not our place to judge one way or another? Like, why is that even? I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, and I agree with you. I, I personally, I personally, when I don't know somebody, I don't make any statement like this. I may say, I pray that God may repose his soul in the paradise of joy. But uh, when I know somebody uh, and, and, and I know his life, uh, then I will say, I am confident, when I'm really, really confident. But if I don't know the, the person at all, uh, or it's just a superficial knowledge, I personally, I don't say I'm confident, but I say something like, we pray that the Lord may repose his soul in the paradise of joy. So I agree with you, we should not make such a statement. Yeah. Speaking in tongue, but she was speaking in tongue and not understand what she was saying, and then showed me the Bible verses, and not all speaking in tongue was for preaching. In St. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, said clearly, if you don't understand your tongue, remain silent. So she is violating actually the teaching of St. Paul. And while she is still showing you verses, let us go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Because she said, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. So she was using these verses, like she was using the Bible itself to like, but, I, I didn't know how to answer her. She no, no, like if you me. take this verse that she is using, actually, uh, in the context, St. Paul was attacking speaking a tongue, was not in favor. Let me give you the, 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 the background, and then I, I will explain this verse. God gave me, for example, the tongue of Chinese. So when I go to China, let's go to China. Let's see another city. <laughs> Not a good time. <laughs> Not a good time now. <laughs> so when I go to China, back, you know, I can use this tongue uh, there to preach the people, to speak them about Christ. But now here in America, meeting with all of you, what is the point that I speak with you in a Chinese. So St. Paul said, if you are among your people and speaking in tongue and you don't understand the tongue and you don't interpret it, yes, because it's tongue is a gift from the Spirit, as if you are talking to God, but the people will not benefit. That's why he said in verse 2, uh, in, in, in verse 1, 
First Corinthians chapter 15 verse 1 Pursue love and desire spiritual gift but especially that you may prophesy So he said I want you to prophesy not to speak in tongue for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God for no one understands him however in the spirit he makes he speaks mysteries yes so but nobody is understanding him but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men he who speaks in tongue edifies himself yes but he who prophesies edifies others then in verse 5 very important i wish you all speak with tongues but even more that you prophesy for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongue unless indeed he interprets that the children may receive edification so here he's very clear prophesy which means preach but what is the point to speak in tongue and people don't understand verse 6 if i come to you speaking with tongues what shall i profit you unless i speak to you by revelation by knowledge by prophecy or by teaching then in verse uh, in verse uh, 12 he said let it be for the edification of the church that you seek excel to excel so tongue will not be for the edification of the church verse 13 therefore let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret then he said if you bless uh, blessing god but i don't understand you how can i say amen when you give thanks to god verse 16 then he said in verse 28 but if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. So if you study 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it's against tongues, not for tongues. But Homa, they take some verses, take it outside the context and, and just to justify. So why, why she's speaking to you in tongues while St. Paul said clearly should be silent. So she she was saying it like I don't tell people that I speak in tongues. I'm just gonna like, like let you know that it you are people or you are not people. Huh? You are people, right? Yeah, no, but she she was trying to say prove to me that it's something that still exists today, that it's something that can be done, and that and I said okay, so what did you say? And she said I don't know, but I had a union communion with God, just me and God. We had like this. Communion. I mean, it was crazy. I'm not saying, I'm not like trying to like. Tab, what about weird. this verse? This verse, she doesn't understand. In First Corinthians chapter 15, he says in verse 19, chapter 14, verse 19, I would rather speak five words with understanding that I may teach other than 10,000 words in tongue. So St. Paul is saying, if she prays five words with understanding, this will be better than 10,000 words word with tongues. So I think I should, we should have read the whole chapter together. Yes, yeah. Just, She's speaking yeah. and, and choose some verses. So and my advice, you can study chapter 14, all of it. So when she talks to you again, you, you, can, you, you are ready to defend your faith. And actually in the book, Comparative Theology, 
comparative theology by Pope Shenouda, there is a chapter about speaking in tongues. So, you know, would you say that, like, is that a gift from God then? Like, what's the purpose of her gift? being able to... It's a gift. Why, what, what's, what's the purpose, though, of that to gift? To preach. But she, but she had... A... She lives in Florida. Like, who is yeah. she preaching? That's why it's not a gift. Yeah, I don't believe that she's speaking in tongue. Maybe there is a spirit or, or something like this. Yeah, yeah, and I, 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 according to the Bible, according to the Bible, there is no speaking in tongues unless, you know, it's a tool, you are using it. God will not just give gift for showing off. You know, why God give me gift of uh, speaking in tongues and I'm not preaching anybody? Although St. Paul, another thing, St. Paul said, tongues is understandable language. It's not just any language. Most of these people who claim they are speaking in tongue, they don't actually use understandable language. I cannot say this Chinese or this is Romanian or this Japanese. No. St. Paul in verse 9, same chapter, we will likewise, unless you utter by tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what's spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, but none of them is without significance. So St. Paul said, if you are speaking in tongue, but with no understanding, you are speaking in air. So God will not give gift just people to speak nonsense in the air. Uh, he said even the, the tools... The instrument, verse 7, even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound unless make a distinction in the sound, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet make an uncertain sound, who will prepare for the battle? So, so St. Paul said, even this instrument that has no life, you can understand them. So, how can I say God will give just nonsense? This is not a gift from God. Absolutely not a gift from God. You mentioned suffering leading to crown in heaven. Can you elaborate on suffering leading to more crown in heaven? I understand this in terms of martyrdom, but does this all mean in circumstances? Is it necessity suffering to earn a crown? of also sacrificing love for God? Yes. For example, uh, when we fast, uh, the more ascetic we fast, uh, this actually will, will give us crowns. Uh, and anything you do it for God, not for showing off, not uh, to impress the people. So any sacrifice, uh, giving, uh, yes, one of the commandments is to give the tithe. But if I decided to give 20%, 30%, whatever, then I'm doing this for God, then I, I, I will get crowned for it. So any sacrifice, the person does it for God, he will give uh, get crowned for it. As Again, as the verse I mentioned to you, uh, St. Paul in Hebrews chapter 11 said, others suffered, but they refused to be rescued in order to get better understand, a better resurrection. So, 
we should be looking for a better resurrection. Better, not just any resurrection, better resurrection. That's why St. Anthony went and lived in desert. Why? To get a better resurrection. How about life circumstances that we go through? Like if someone gets cancer or has some bad experience. If the person accepted with thanksgiving, not with grumbling. And one of the highest level in heaven is a thankful patient. So if, if if I get, as you say, cancer or whatever, and I accepted this with thanksgiving to God, yes, this will be considered. Related to mourning, I feel that I mourn my sins to cause this pain to Christ. Not so much mourning Christ's death as I know it is necessary for salvation. Is it uh, wrong? Is this wrong? Uh, As long as mourning is combined with with hope in, 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 in forgiveness and in acceptance of God, uh, nothing wrong with that. Actually, in in the fraction, start with O Only Begotten Son, we say, Grief my soul for your sins, which caused your Redeemer to suffer all these pains. As you said, I feel that I mourned my sins. So, what was the name of the book about Evangel? Uh, two books, actually. Had uh, the Becoming Orthodox by Peter Gilquist. Mish Gilchrist. Gilquist. Peter Gilquist. Becoming Orthodox by Peter Gilquist. We're coming home. Coming home. Uh, let me see if I can type it to you. Yes. Gilquist. Yes. Uh, Peter Gilquist. Uh, two books. Coming home and becoming Orthodox. What resources are available to learn about Orthodox beliefs in regard to heaven? There is a book actually written by uh, Bishop Ioannis of Garbeya, may the Lord, uh, Lord bless his soul, uh, called Heaven. And this book actually we translated in the Southern Diocese and also uh, Ambacarellus in Los Angeles translated. Uh, so uh, you, you can find this book easily. Uh, it's called Heaven by late Bishop Ioannis of Garbeya. Uh, you can find it, actually, because it was translated by Los Angeles and by the Southern Diocese. It's a very good book to give you the Orthodox beliefs regarding heaven. Any more questions? Have you discussed theology? Do you do different turning away from? Yeah, I ha- I have some discussion with them, but uh, you know, their style or their pattern in discussion, they attack, and they don't wait for an answer. So you you cannot hold discussion. They will tell you. Uh, uh, why why you say to uh, the Bishop Sayyidna, uh, the Bible says, don't call anybody master except Christ. Uh, and the book of Revelation says, if, if you add to the word of this scripture, God will add you punishment. So they start attacking, attacking. Okay, I'm going to tell you the answer. That's their style. Uh, so very rarely to have 
an objective a discussion with a Protestant. Very rarely. يعني my experience with them is just the attack, but they don't uh, wait even to listen to an answer. And, and they know some questions like why we call Abuna, why we call Sayyidna, why we kiss their hand. And they focus on the rituals that we are not saying, يعني, if you don't call Sayyidna, uh, Sayyidna if you don't call Abuna, uh, that's fine, it's okay. Uh, we are not arguing about this. Uh, if you don't kiss our hands, that's quite especially now in this virus. We love it, yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, but they just they attack, 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 and they lose the focus on the essence of orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is not about kissing Abuna's hand or calling him Abuna or Sayyidna. That's not orthodoxy. This just people did it out of respect to their fathers. If they don't do it, that's fine. And yani, we don't say, number one, you should kiss our hand. If you don't, you will go to hell. No, nobody says this. I think there's like a sense in our culture that if you're not doing that, if you're not doing the matanya in front of the bishop, or if you're not kissing the priest's hand or whatever, then you're not paying your respects and you're not being like a good Coptic Christian. You're not setting a good example for other people in the church. Like in Sunday school, we teach like we teach the kids you have to kiss the cross and kiss the woman's hand. Like we're instilling that in our in our kids in Sunday school. As 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 etiquette as morals not as something essential for salvation. Yani. So that's that's actually leads to my other question, which is like in the Coptic church, I feel like I've ne- I have yet to see another church that is as strict with all of the different rules and stuff that we have in terms of like our fasting Wednesdays and Fridays for like seven months out of the year and fasting in Qatari until 12 or two. And, we need, and so we have all these- We need to differentiate between principles an application. Fasting is a principle. So we should fast. But how we apply it? Yes, our church is more ascetic than many other churches. As I said, because we are looking for a better resurrection. So because we want better resurrection, that's why our church is is, is more ascetic. And, and when actually uh, you fast, you don't fast because God needs it. I fast for myself. And if I need it, I need to fast more. But fasting and all this asceticism in the church is different than the other practice I was referring to. The other practice refer, uh, يعني, it's actually, in a way, when St. Paul said, submit to your fathers uh, and, and show respect to them, honor them. And when Christ said, uh, if you honor them, honor, you are honoring me. So it came naturally as a sign of honor to our fathers. But uh, uh, I assure you, if somebody said, no, I'm not going to kiss Abuna's hand, uh, regardless of his intention, uh, 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 of course, if his intention or the motive behind it is arrogant or he's prideful, then it will be a sin of pride. But for any reason, if he decided not to do this, uh, that's fine. Uh, يعني, God will not tell him you will not be saved because of this as long as oh, my question... okay. go ahead well my question was more along the lines of like 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 in the fasting in the church like all of the fasting days and how long you fast like like I feel guilty like if I didn't fast on Friday then I feel like I committed a sin and I have to confess it like like how 
how is God judging us on the Coptic church deciding that Wednesdays and Fridays you have to fast and that you have to fast 55 days in Lent and 34 days in like the nativity and like all of those rules specific to the Coptic church. And like, if we don't abide by those rules are those considered sins that we have to confess each and every single time that we don't do them and does that affect our salvation? How the question why I'm not doing them. Uh, for example, if I'm sick and I, I, I don't fast for health reasons, no, uh, God will, uh, this will not affect my salvation. That's why I can give you absolution not to fast, but I cannot give you absolution to lie. <laughs> you know, so not fasting is, is not a sin because uh, if I can give you absolution not to fast, if there is a reason behind it, then it's not a sin. I cannot give absolution for a sin. I cannot give, uh, give you absolution. Okay, go ahead. God absolve you. Go and steal, for example. I cannot give you absolution for a sin. But usually the motive behind it, if I'm not fasting, is what is sinful. Not the not fasting. For example, if I want just to enter into the white gate and to walk in the broad way, then that's the sin. I want the easy way. What's convenient for me, you know? Here the, the commandment, enter through the narrow gate and walk in uh, in the uh, difficult way. So usually when person decide not to fast, the question why, you know? So if it is a godly reason, for example, I am sick, uh, I take medication, then it will not affect your salvation. But if the motive behind it or the reason behind it is ungodly, this is what is sinful, not the fact that you are not fasting is sinful. Make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. But how do I explain that to a Protestant person that I have to fast on Fridays or I have to fast on Wednesdays and Fridays or I have to, I, I can't eat fish during Lent, but I can eat it during St. Mary's fast or Christmas. Like how do I... Yani, it's, it's, I want to start. I want. I want to start with this with the Protestant. I will start with the principle. The Bible, there is a principle called fasting. There is a principle called prayer, and they agree on this principle, and we agree on this principle. How to fast is different from a church to church, from a person to another person. You know, that's the way I choose how to fast. You know. Uh, some other churches, like the Syriac Orthodox Church, they fast differently. The Armenian, they fast differently. So that's the application. So when we discuss, we should discuss principles, not applications. Because applications actually uh, can differ from a person to a person. But when I make the application principle, that's where we get in conflict. When I tell him, no, it's a must to fast Wednesday and Friday. No, it's not a must. You know, that's application. That's how the Coptic Church show her love for Christ. Other churches, uh, they, they fast. I remember uh, I, I was visiting a Protestant church and uh, we were renting them yeah, for one of our community. So the priest came to me and told me, uh, this year actually we'll start Daniel's fast. And they published a book about it. So what's Daniel's fast? And you know how Daniel fasted, uh, only eating uh, vegetables only? So we will, um, 
first uh, 15 years from the year, from January 1st to January 15th, we will uh, fast Daniel fast. So I smiled and told him, we fast Daniel fast, but for about 300 days every year. <laughs> so they discovered something in the Bible, they gave it a name, and they, they, they want just to apply it. Was it more just about being obedient to your church? So like if you're in the Syrian church, you kind of have to be obedient to the way they do fasting. And since we're Coptic, we're obedient to the way the Coptic church does fasting. Yes. And I've heard of like a statement like when we think about like the rituals in the church, don't think of it as necessarily a rule that you have to follow, but it's a tool to help us get to salvation. So it's a tool and not necessarily a rule. Absolutely right. That's yes. like an easy, simple way for like those yeah. who aren't. Yeah, it's a tool. No, it's it's not a rule. Yeah, it's a tool. There's some more question here. I think that um, I'm just honestly, I'm just curious as to what our church believes in terms of, um, the, I, and I can, I can get that book too, I don't know if that would answer all the questions, but in terms of what we believe in terms of heaven, do we know people there? The Bible talks about feasts in heaven, I mean, just in terms of kind of what, what, what do we believe in terms of what happens in heaven? If you think the book will answer all of that, then I can just get that, but um, the near-death experiences I was curious about as well. Um, in terms of what you think, because a lot of times when you listen to these stories, um, there are similar, similarities between a lot of them. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that, if they're just all bogus. Or... First, why Lazarus, who died for four days, did not write a word? So if God wanted to reveal to us, he would actually let Lazarus speak to us. I'm sure if Lazarus wrote something about these four days, and I'm sure people asked him. I, I, I am definitely people uh, sure that people asked him. But letters did not say what happened. God actually blocked his memory completely, which means God doesn't want to know. So what I'm trying to say, what will happen what in heaven or whatever, we know what is revealed to us, what's revealed to us in the scripture. Other than this, it can be meditation, it can be visions, but not necessarily what is really what we are going to see in heaven. But this book, actually, I'm, I'm sure you like it. By, I'm, uh, I'm very honest. Okay, any more questions? Okay, thank you all, and I'm happy to see all of you again as a group after maybe 15 or 20 years. Okay.